This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, episode 42 of the Louisiana Bow Hunter Podcast. This time we are on the phone with Bo Watkins out of New Iberia, Louisiana. And this is uh, a guest we've been wanting to have on for a while, but it's kind of hard to get somebody on the phone when they live out of the country 90% of the year. Um, so Bo is uh, in medical school in the Caribbean, just got back in town, and uh, he's joining Locke and myself tonight. And we're going to be talking about aero setups, trajectory, physics, momentum, kinetic energy, all the stuff you've ever always heard uh, and going into detail on it. So, guys, uh, uh, thanks for joining us tonight, man. Yes, sir. Um, so, Bo, you are um, just back in town. You going to be doing any hunting when you get when you're uh, while you're home? A little bit. Yes, yes, I will. I'm going to try to go on a couple of duck hunts. Well, I went on one the other day, but uh, try to go on a couple more duck hunts and try to go sit in the, the stand in the basin a little bit. Nice. See, uh, see if I can get some seat time in. Nice. Now, you had a, uh, I don't know if you still have it or not. You had a dual rig surface drive, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did. I, I sold it. Whenever I had to leave to go to school, I sold it. But uh, yes, I did. I had it for uh, for a little while. I enjoyed it. What was it, Gator Tail or Pro Drive? Uh, Gator Tail. I had uh, a couple of pro drives um, earlier, you know, a couple years back or whatnot, but I had uh, three different pro drives out of 27, then I got a 36, and then I got another 36, but it had some motor work done to it. So mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm a big fan of both of them, just like a lot of things with bow hunting. They have their advantages and their disadvantages. So <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, yeah. um, <clears throat> we, we appreciate you joining us tonight, man. Um, before we get it kicked off, uh, let's give a shout-out to this week's sponsor, um, Relentless Boats out of Thibodeau, Louisiana. You've heard us talk about them before. If you're looking for a high-quality, very, very durable custom aluminum boat for outboard surface drive you name it check out relentlessboatsla.com or check them out on facebook or instagram at relentless boats you're really going to be impressed by their setups fully customized rigs indestructible if if you can't beat them up in the basin you can't beat them up anywhere so check them out at relentlessboatsla.com so tell us what are you in medical school for man How, how did you get to the caribbean that's awesome oh yeah so i whenever I started off, I was an EMT right out of high school. They had a program. Uh, you can go Acadian Ambulance at National UMass Academy or whatnot. So I go into it the summer I got out of high school. Then I did my paramedic also after that. And I was always still going to school to get my bachelor's degree. I'd work at night on the ambulance um, and worked my way up. And always, anytime I'd go into the ER, drop off a patient or I'd have a critical care transfer or something, once I'd get there and I would be dropping off the patient, I would see the residents come in and they would start orchestrating, you know, hey, do this, do that, whatever. And I would just say, oh, wow, that's that's what I need to be doing or that's what I could do. And I just kept going to school and uh, never gave up. I applied in the U.S. and didn't get in. Um, and I could have applied again a second time, um, but it wasn't a guarantee that I would get in then also. And the Caribbean programs, um, certain programs are better than others, but there are three of them that are um, accredited, really good schools. I shadowed some physicians that went to those particular schools, and I ended up at AUC. Um, so it's 20 months in the Caribbean, then you come back and you do your clinicals in the States. Nice. So AUC is a real good school. I'm already uh, three semesters in, so I'm already a year finished. I've only got like eight months left, and then I'll be back in the States for good. So. Nice. So what yep. do, you, do you want to specialize in anything when you get out? Uh, as of now, since I've been in the emergency side of things, you know, for quite a while, I still love the ER. I love the emergency. I feel like it's a good, uh, you know, uh, composition of my skill sets, uh, things that that everybody has little, you know, things they're better at mm-hmm. than others or they feel they're better at for themselves. And I feel like the ER is a good spot for me. But once I do clinicals, I may end up you know, falling for something else or being better at something else or enjoying something more than emergency. So, but as for right now, I think ER is a good fit for me. I've got, I've got a lot of friends, um, that are uh, nurses and, uh, I have a couple of three or four ER doctor friends, uh, at Lords. And I think I want to say Lafayette general Lafayette. What's the one in the middle of Lafayette? Like, off yeah, the yeah. Lafayette general. Lafayette yeah. General. Lafayette general. And, um, and, uh, it's an interesting world, man. Uh, it sure is. It's and and what's interesting, like, <laughs> I don't mean this to sound ugly, but like, you, there has to be seriously something wrong with you to enjoy that life. Be- <laughs> I, mean, right. I mean, because look, I go to the camp with these women that are nurses there, and they talk about the most effed up stuff that I've ever heard of in my life, and they, <laughs> it's just one upping each other. And Locke works at a hospital, so yeah, he knows right. what, he knows the type of people I'm talking about, and it's like. It, you, you can't, I feel like it's just, you know, when you were in high school and you tried to gross out your friend and the first one to give a reaction lost, yeah. 
right? So working right, in right. the ER is that only you get paid? Like yeah, you get you, you just it's this constant one up. Like okay, yeah, this gross thing happened to you. Let me tell you what happened to me last week. You know, it's right. It's uh, it's very interesting, man. And I'm look, I have a um. I have a simple rule. I, I don't I don't like talking about medical stuff. I'm not grossed out by like uh like blood and gore and, and stuff like that. But um right. my big thing is bones. Like like I like for bones to be where they were supposed to be. And right. so like I have a very simple rule. I don't want to talk about things not being where they're supposed to be or things being where they're not supposed to be. Like that that's my simple rule. Like that's it. If you want to talk if like if you got pus or runny nose or or whatever it doesn't bother me. You start talking about having a dislocated shoulder or like a broken femur and I'm going to hang up on you. Like yeah, I, I yeah. Don't want to hear about that, man. That's disgusting. <laughs> I don't wanna, there you go. No. Well, so your the terminology for uh, for that is crepitus. So tell people you don't ah. want to hear, hear anything about or see any or whatever, but Crepitus is the the term for. There we go. You know, yeah, that's it. Bones crunching or moving around. That's it. Yep, that's my line. That's where I draw. Yep. But that's cool, man. So you're going to medical school. That's great. Tell us, um, how long have you been bow hunting? Tell us your history with it. So uh, my dad, he was real big uh, fisherman. So like I was always in the outdoors and everything, um, on the water and stuff since I was little. But he wasn't a really big you know, hunter. So, and I'd always wanted to do that, wanted to do that. And we were in like a, um, a junior education hunter club, which is like a good thing for kids, uh, for many different reasons, safety aspect, of course. But so that's where I kind of got my first introductory into it. Um, and then I started bow hunting uh, avidly whenever I was probably 18, 19 years old, you know, at that age where, okay, now I'm independent. I've got my own truck and I can, you know, buy my equipment, my stands, you know, you work, you save up, you buy your climber, Mm -hmm. this, that, or the other. And, um, then saved up and got on a lease and would hunt public land and, you know, all that good stuff. So probably, uh, 18, 19, right around in there. Nice. Well, um, so we, we don't ask enough people this question. And since we're going to be talking about setups and arrow setups, what are you hunting with? What is your bow setup that you're hunting with? So my uh, my last bow that I had, I was uh, fortunate enough to shoot um, for Brandon at Bayouland Bow Hunter. So I shot a Triax uh, for a year, mm-hmm. and then before that, I had an Insanity, um, and I started off with the 70 pound limbs on it, and then I put 80 pound limbs on it. Um, before the Insanity, I had a Destroyer 350. Before the Destroyer, I had a Tribute uh, for four or five years. The Tribute was probably the best bow I've ever had. It's definitely the bow that I killed the most deer with. Um, and then before that, I had a Hoyt Reflex, mm-hmm. which was like, um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with them, but yeah. that, that was the first bow that I bought myself was a Hoyt Reflex. Yeah, yeah, I had a friend that had one. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, um, it, I mean, that was back when bows looked like a bow like a curve <laughs> yeah rather yeah, rather right. than this parallel limb design that we all have out today i mean i don't want to say it was that old it wasn't like as old as no you know, no it's like the mid 90s so that would have been i mean 2007 2008 somewhere around there so yeah i mean yeah we're we're 10 or 12 years past that but then whenever i bought it i don't think it was you know brand new it wasn't 
not to say it wasn't a good bow, but it was probably three or four years old whenever I bought it. I don't know when they came out, but so it's uh, definitely definitely outdated now if you look at them. But they'll still kill deer, you know. You just that's, gotta... that's the thing, man. It is um, uh, they they do still kill deer, and it doesn't yeah. take the newest, baddest, you know, most expensive bow to kill one. Um, but uh, that's cool, man. So so do you still have that triax? Are you uh, are you gonna uh, get another one? No, no, I gave it. Uh, I gave it back to Brandon because he does the demo models and um, yeah, and he lets guys shoot them, see what they think, get some feedback on them, get some advertisement out there. Um, but then I gave it back to him. So now, uh, whenever I'm in from time to time, I've got a buddy that uh, he lets me shoot his bow. So um, I I know it's a Hoyt, but I don't even know the uh, what brand of Hoyt it is. But I went in his yard, shot it, sighted it in at uh, at 20 yards, and made a couple hunts with it haven't killed anything with it though but yeah nice man yeah well um so we're we're gonna talk in this episode about um a little more of like the technical more in-depth side of um of arrow and bow setups and um and also talk about the importance of of um number one having your own setup for you set up your bow your setup and and not not t- always disregarding what other people shoot, but just going into it knowing what bow shoots is not what is best for me. What lock shoots might not be best for me. What I shoot might not be be- best for lock. And um, that goes with arrows. That goes with bow setups. That goes with um, certain so- uh, spines. It goes with certain broadheads. Certain you know, t- the whole setup based on the poundage. And then you want to talk a lot about. Um, you talk about the Ashby reports, um, penetration, and things like that. So, um, why don't you lead us off? And we talked, we had a little bit, you know, conversation before the podcast. But this is something that you're kind of passionate about and, and wanting to inform other people on is like arrow setup. So, kind of tell us what's on your mind with it, man. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess one of the the biggest things um, whenever we start talking about different different aspects of the the arrow setups i mean you can get rabbit holed with every single thing so if i get carried away and i start like rabbit holing too much or talking way too in depth about something just just let me know tell me to pump the brakes and i'll change it up but um so i think the biggest thing first is everybody knows about and hears about kinetic energy and it's imperative to know you know what the what your bow shoots um just to have an idea of what you should be shooting or what you for your um, for your intent or your purposes, whatever you're planning on going hunt, if you're going on a deer hunt an elk hunt, you know, whatever it may be, it's good to know what your, um, what your kinetic energy is, but then Mm -hmm. you also have the momentum aspect of it. Um, so kinetic energy is, you know, your force, your mass and your force and how fast your velocity that your arrow is traveling. But the momentum side of it is momentum is the ability to, for mass to continue to move. So like a lot of guys know a lot about their kinetic energy, but then whenever you talk about your momentum, momentum is what's going to have it to continue to move, uh, to pass through the body cavity, to break through the skin, to, you know, to crush the bone or to break the bone mm-hmm. and to continue to pass through. And the momentum comes where you start to add weight to your arrow. So a heavier arrow is going to have more momentum than a lighter arrow, but your kinetic energy will still or can still be the same. Um, there are certain weights that the kinetic energy and the momentum will be real similar for the weight, but mm-hmm. there's also there are also instances where 
momentum, you can have more of an advantage with the momentum with the same kinetic energy. Uh, so it's just, you know, being informed um, and thinking about thinking about that. But we've all got personal experiences where and I have personal experiences where I've gotten complete pass throughs with lighter arrows like a blue streak uh, 350. Yeah, um, I've I hit a doe smack in the shoulder quartering to me with a rage and broke the shoulder passed through and stuck in the dirt in the other side. And I think that can be attributed a lot to the distance that the shot was. Cause that shot was like 25, 27 yards. So that arrow has more time to plane out. Yeah. When you say plane out, you're talking about, you're talking about the able, the arrow has stabilized and yes. the, the uh, I guess you could say the, the knock and the, the point of the arrow are in line. You're going to get the most energy transfer direct down the shaft. Whereas yes. at a very, very short distance, um, you're, you're saying that you think that the, um, Archer's paradox or the, uh, hasn't yet stabilized and yes. that when you have impact, the knock may not be in line with the arrowhead and that then it might go a little sideways. You lose energy. You don't get as much energy transfer, right? That is exactly, that is exactly correct. Uh, 100% because so energy, you can't create it or destroy it. It can only be transferred. Like that's one of the big laws of physics. Um, so what's happening is that whenever you're impacting if your arrow is still flexing and it has not completely straightened out and stabilized then you're losing energy and you're losing energy up or down or left or right whichever way the arrow is flexing and ashby he termed it as a lever cantilever mm -hmm. um leverage so whenever if anyone wants to imagine it uh, you know you are impacting the animal the deer the whatever you're hunting and your arrow is still moving up and down so instead of going through, it's going up and down and you're losing all that energy. So and the energy loss corresponds to less penetration. And then depending on what type of shot it is, if it's straight directly broadside, that's fine. But if it's a quartering shot, now you have more uh, real estate that you have to pass through instead of needing 14 inches of penetration for a pass through. Now you can need up to 30 inches. You know, mm -hmm. it just all depends on the, the length that you're shooting. Um, or the length of the, you know, the animal at the, the angle of that shot. So, um, and that plays a real big factor in it as well. Yeah. So, um, th there's, there's a lot of factors in this. Number one, arrow weight. Number two, what type of broadhead you're shooting? Not necessarily like the, the brand of broadhead, but like what style of broadhead, whether it's a, a fixed blade, a forward deploying mechanical, such as, um, such as uh, like a, a Grim Reaper or a Wasp Jackhammer or a Spitfire. Um, and then you've got the rear deploying broadheads, which are going to be the slip cam systems like Rage. And right. um, the, uh, we, we have talked about the difference between broadheads a good bit. Um, when, like for example, like I, I, I moved to fixed blades a few years ago and I have no reason to get off of them. I've had great results. I've had a lot of pass-throughs. I've got um, I've got a lot of great things going on as far as like performance for my arrow, and my setup. But 
that might not be what somebody else ex- ex- is experiencing. So um, you were shooting the rage. I know um, Locke is a big proponent of um, of Grim Reapers, and um, just like we talked about before the podcast, we all kill deer. <laughs> we all prove oh, yeah. that all of our setups work. Um, but but I will say that I learned early on that I couldn't shoot as light of an arrow as I was shooting with a forward um, deploying mechanical and get good pass through results. I was getting very low number of pass throughs. I was shooting too low of an arrow, too low of um, an arrow weight. And, but, but the thing was, was um, I'm, I'm like I've said before, I'm a speed guy and I'm not a speed guy because I like to shoot fast. I'm a speed guy because I want to be able to shoot a deer at 20 yards and 30 and possibly 35 yards on the same pin. I like yep. a flat trajectory. I want as little variance in arrow drop as possible. And that's why I'm a speed guy. Well, if, if my number one choice is speed, then I automatically have to cross out huge cut, uh, cutting broadheads because that's going to just plummet my arrow performance. So what, you know, you, what, tell us about your arrow setup when you were hunting, um, when you had your, uh, your triax, what were you hunting with? So whenever I had the Triax, I was hunting with the um, Blue Streak 350s still because I, I just I like that arrow. I shot the Maxima Reds also for a couple of seasons, um, but the the 350s and then the um, the Maxima Hunters, which were real similar to the 350s, those were always good arrows for me. I shot um, Gold Tips, uh, the Velocities for a season. Yeah, uh, didn't didn't necessarily care for them. Um, but so I was shooting that and I was shooting the rage hypodermic. So I was shooting the hypodermic, um, and didn't never, oh no, I, I take that back. I did kill a deer with a triax. I killed a, a spike with a triax complete, uh, complete pass through. I mean, it was like a 110 pound spike. So that was good. I don't, th- I think that was the only deer that I killed with my bow, um, last season. So nope. yeah, and I I was satisfied with it. I, I mean, I was. What did you like um, about the velocities? So for the velocities, I felt um, that it may not have been spined properly for me, but I wasn't getting the penetration. I shot a doe in Illinois, um, and I didn't get a. I passed through the body cavity, but it was like a shish kebab. Like it it stopped, and it was a a twenty yard shot, twenty yard, twenty five yard shot, and that was with um that was with my insanity yeah it was with my insanity and i just felt like i should have had a complete pass through and it was a lighter arrow i was doing some experimenting you know just seeing what um what i wanted to do or what was going to work for me but the luckily the the deer dropped right there for whatever reason it was just a center mass shot um and i've actually got an old picture from my phone from it because i i went down and i took a picture because you could see the stand in the background but um, for whatever reason, she just stood there and keeled over. Hmm. Um, but for for me, I thought I should have gotten a pass through for that, and I attributed it to the lighter weight of the of the arrow, and maybe I didn't have enough front OC or FOC, you know, percentage. Maybe I could have put a brass insert up front or something. But that was just me. I don't know why, but and it may not have been spined correctly. It may have been too stiff of a spine to where i was having a little bit of whipping action or something it wasn't recovering 
Like, yeah, yeah, I don't think it was recovering. I may have been able to fletch it a little differently, but um, it was one of those kind of picking up at the last minute, change arrows, and uh, didn't really play with them enough and just, just went hunting. And, I mean, I made it work, but uh, anyway, I made some changes after. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, Locke, uh, t- what what arrow setups are you hunting with? So. This year, I started hunting with a Victory. Um, I don't know if they call it RIP or, or if it's RIP. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but anyway, we'll call it RIP. The Victory RIP 204 um, ID arrows, I, I shoot a 400 spine. That's the uh, yeah. that's that's like the medium diameter, right? Yeah. It's like yeah, in between micro and standard. Yeah, 204 is the same as uh, Velocity, actually, because I was shooting Velocity last year. I was shooting Gold Tip Velocity last year. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. That's not true. I was shooting Element Typhoons last year. I shot Velocity's year before that. But all of those are 204s. And I've been shooting a 204 arrow for a, quite a while now. I, that's my preference on arrow diam, uh, diameter. So... Um, there's not a lot of reason why I chose victory, um, other than Jay. Yeah, I was about started, to say yes. Yes, there is. <laughs> There's a very good reason why you started shooting uh, victory. It's for the so same reason out, anybody I, shoots I was victory. Running low on my element. So basically, what <laughs> happened is I, I had a, I had a industry deal going on with Element Arrows. I shot for them for a couple of years, and I had a whole bunch of arrows out of that deal, and I shot a whole bunch of them, a lot of different things turkeys and deer and whatever and they did fine but i had to make a decision to either buy more of them because i wasn't partnering with them anymore or go to something different Mm -hmm. and when i got my new hoyt set up with jay last year that's what i've been shooting and i you know i've been happy with them i've I've kind of i guess probably for the last i don't know let's say seven years six or seven years i have gone away from all of the tinkering that i used to do on arrow setups and i've gone to just kind of a middle of the road on everything i i try to be not light but not heavy i try to be a medium diameter i try to be just kind of in the middle because you know i i just kind of live by the theory that and i've said this in a lot in a lot of conversations we've had on this podcast and in different ways but i put a lot of stock and value into how i hunt and so, therefore, I put myself in advantageous situations so I don't have to depend on specific equipment to get the job done because I'm in a yep. situation where a lot of equipment would get the job done. And I, I think that's the most important thing for me is I'm hunting in a way that if it, when my situations pay off, it's just a matter of me making the shot more so than prov- – I don't, I don't do a lot of, you know, food plot hunting or spot and stalk hunting where I'm – forced with making long shots and and i have to worry about a lot of that i mean i'm shooting deer at 20 yards broadside and really all i gotta do is just make a good shot and yeah i'm pretty pretty well set up no matter how i go are we i mean brandon i I know you haven't listened to a lot of um this season's episodes but um you know one of the things that we lock and i have um really adopted this season in particular and just in general moving forward is the premise of the podcast is to make people 
more skilled hunters that make better decisions in hunting situations. And just like right. Locke said, your equipment shouldn't be a backup plan for poor performance. Like, uh, yes. And, and, and so putting yourself in the best position, holding out for the right shot. Um, we talk, we've talked a lot about controlling your emotions in a, in a very tense situation. Um, and, and so, uh, I was talking to Philip Berry. He um, he works uh, he works at Pat's um, uh, Pat's Home Center in Central Louisiana, and um, we were talking on the phone. I had to drive to Memphis and back one day, and and we were on the phone for about an hour and a half. And he asked me. He was like, "Man, like I listen to all the podcasts." He said, he said, do you read a lot? And I was like, do I read a lot of what? And he was like, like books and stuff. And I was like, no, I'm not a reader. <laughs> I said, I, I think I said something smart ass. Like I'm a voracious listener or something. Like I, I like, <laughs> like, I like, I like listening to podcasts. I like listening to people that are smarter than me. I, I like learning from people and then I like applying it to real life. And he was like, he, he said, he was like, man, y'all, you break things down in a way that, I've never heard anybody break down before and you think things through in a way that like it's, it's borderline overthinking it, but, but you are saying it in a way that it's, you're just showing that you're very attentive to the entire process. Like I'm not a worrier. I'm not an overthinker or anything like that. And, and I'm the, the older I get and the more deer I kill, the more I funnel myself into Locke's way of thinking, which is, Hey, middle of the road is great. I'm going to put myself in the best positions and I'll execute. Um, but, um, you know, this whole, like, it's interesting, man. It, just to get off on a slight subject, like this is the Louisiana Bow Hunter podcast. This is a forty-second episode. Like, how many things are there for us to talk about? And uh, this is a, <laughs> this is a this is a thought that goes in my head all the time. Like Locke and I come come up, and y'all would be maybe shocked to, to know that that this is just forty-two times in a row that we can pull some shit out of our ass the day before. <laughs> Okay, like that's really all it is. Like I promise you, there are many, many times that we have gotten on with the guests, and we're like, "What are we talking about?" Sounds good, <laughs> you know. Let's go with that. And um, but it's it's cool to break things down into like like just the the minutia, the the the, the granular aspect of bow hunting. Because man, I have a guy that is um that's in a shop uh, next to me where, where my, my building is. And he owns a um, precision reloading company. They reload <laughs> the, he, he makes um, uh, precision once fired brass is what he does. And then he reloads it and he like, they do long range shooting and he is the only person that I've ever met that is into long range shooting or rifle hunting in general that knows as much about his setup as I know about my bow and my, my, um, uh, capabilities with it. I mean, he, he is precision, like precise to like razor blade, precise, like no room for variance. I mean, he's a thousand yard shooter and, um, and he can hit them over and over and over again in a thousand yards. And it's crazy to, to, to 
be there with him at the range and hear him be like, oh, that one's a foot low. That one had like two extra grains in it of, of powder or some shit like that. Or that, that, yeah. and, and, but, but it's the same thing. Like, you know, bow hunters are that intent about that intense about it. And long range shooters are, are that intense about it, but there's a big wide gap of other hunters that are in between the two of us that are, they're like, yeah, I just shoot 150 grain core locks and, and I shoot them out of my Remington 700, you know? And so, um, it's, it's one thing to know that something is effective it's another thing to clarify why it's effective. That's what we're talking about today. Correct. Why does your arrow setup work? Why does it not work? What are you struggling with? Are you getting pass-throughs? Are you not? Um, you know, Locke is uh, very involved in the, the hunting industry. I'm not. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm just it's not my thing i don't like watching other people shoot deer on tv that's never been something i've enjoyed doing and but but i will say there's a problem these days where when was the last time you saw a tv uh personality blow through a deer with an arrow like when was yeah, the last you, you, you all you don't see it you just see half the arrow sticking out and it's in them running off and if uh, if I if I would think of one person or one like group that I see the most pass throughs from, it's uh Michael Wydell and the Bone Collector guys. Like they get a bunch of pass throughs, but other than that, outside of that, not many. I mean, I see uh, there there are some guys kind of local to here that that they shoot a deer and they get seven inches of penetration and then the arrow falls out backwards, you know? Yeah. And, and then you got like Dave Blanton and the guys from real tree and, and all of this and they shoot a deer and they get eight inches of penetration. And literally the, the deer runs 400 yards away across the field in Iowa and the deer, the arrows flopping out of it the whole time. And I'm thinking to myself, like if there was anybody that, could probably get a pass through on a sh on one of these guys you would think it would be one of these guys but right but lock was it you that said these guys do a huge circuit and they don't get to hunt as much as you think that they do yes they yeah. don't yeah and they don't well it, <clears throat> let me say let me say it like this most of them they get to hunt a lot but they don't have the luxury of preparation the way we do Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to cast a shadow of saying these guys don't care. They're just free, you know, freewheeling. I'm not saying that about them personally, but the schedule that they keep, you know, they, they're very, very busy in the, in the world of marketing and promotion all year when they're not hunting. And then when hunting season comes, it takes a lot of hours to produce these television shows and they don't sit out in the backyard and shoot lots of different you know, setups and try different things and get that. I mean, they don't, they shoot what they're given and you know, what sells is speed and rage, oh, you know, yeah. that that's what I sells. Can... And unfortunately fast light arrows with mechanical broadheads hunting the largest, toughest white tails in the Midwest it's not a great combination. Yeah. I mean, it's just not. I don't, there's no other way to put it. I'll give you an example of that. That, that is a big deal. When we're talking about this um, with all these different arrows. Watch those same hunting shows and watch what happens when they shoot a doe on camera. They blow right through them every single time. And so, yeah. with that being said, you know, when you're listening to this podcast and this is not, again, this is not a, 
a comment or a, a diatribe intended to throw shade. But if all you've done is shoot a couple of deer that weighed 100 pounds on your lease somewhere and just just understand that maybe you're fine, but if you get the chance to go shoot a 250-pound deer, it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's not the 100%. same animal. 100%. Yeah, could not agree yeah, I mean, more. You, if 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 you've went to a bow shop or or uh, an outdoor shop somewhere and they sold you the fastest shooting newest arrow and they stuck a rage broadhead on there because it you know rips this huge hole and you're shooting a couple of small bucks or does or whatever that's just you know what you've had the opportunity to shoot and you're blasting these huge holes and even uh, to go a step further you've you've made a good shot you've been you, you know you haven't messed up and you've hit a lot of soft tissue don't think that that's going to translate to everything because it just doesn't i mean when you shoot a big bodied animal it's different yeah and you know so yeah, yeah that's, so, that's the thing Kyler. Yeah. i think it's 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 more about a lot of these guys that you know they don't have the time to do what we do in terms of prep yeah yeah and so one, I guess one, if we can, uh, I'll bring a little bit of physics back into it also for the sake of conversation. Uh, whenever we talk about prep, a lot of guys, um, I think they overlook the the marketed uh, razor blade um, sharpness or, you know, razor sharp right out of the pack. Um, and that is, so whenever you talk about physics, you talk about the coefficient of that sharpness and coefficient it, it's really the, the quality or the quantity. It's a way to quantify how sharp it is. So if you take out the pack a broadhead and you compare it to something that you have stroked or wet stoned and made truly razor sharp, where that makes a difference is the drag that you're getting in the body cavity. So mm. on a broadside shot, straight broadside, straight out the pack, you know, you'll be fine. But where you'll see a difference is more likely or more often than not on a, a quartering shot where you have more, you know, real estate to pass through. Now we're not talking about making a 14 inch uh, penetration shot. We're talking about probably twice that, sometimes 28 inches, 30 inches of penetration that you need to have. Well, whenever that coefficient is larger, you're going to lose more energy. You're losing more energy every inch because that blade is not as sharp as it could be. And then that uh, correlates to not having a pass-through. And we all know not having a pass-through, now you have one hole versus two holes. Uh, that's less blood. That e that's easily equals less blood. Less blood means harder to find the deer, you know, less of a trail, all that. But that's one thing that guys should also consider is the sharpness of those broadheads you're shooting. Yeah. Do you all ever shoot the same broadhead twice? Not the same blades. Uh, no, same blades. I, I mean, I've, I've no, I have not. I, I've, um, I've always either changed the blades out, or what I found, I really liked the chisel tip rage uh, for a couple years. I shot them, but if I ever hit bone, um, they had, I think, I believe it was an aluminum ferrule, and the ferrules were bad for bending. Yeah. So like once I noticed that, I never shot the same broadhead twice because even if it seems like it may have been straight. It may not have been, you know, so I didn't want to take any chances. Um, but I would always change the broadhead, uh, the blades out at least. Lock, what do you do? You shoot the same ones I, more than once? No, no. If, if if I don't, I don't, I don't ever shoot a deer with a a set of blades that's been shot at anything else. 
yeah. round target. Uh, I don't care. Nothing. Like now, one of the reasons I like the Grim Reapers, one of the reasons, is because they're very tough. And the uh, the feral on the Grim Reaper, you know, it's got the chisel tip head, and if you look at it, it looks just like a muzzy head. Mm-hmm. Basically, I think they call it trocar. Trocar, yeah. Does, but but it's it's the same thing. They got these little razor blade nicks in them that I don't know how much difference that does. But I like the fact that 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 Grim Reaper makes contact with a big head. You know, for for bone and 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 penetration, it it punches really hard. And then of course it has the opening and the and the big cut. But no, if I shoot, um, I now I do sh- I've shot the same feral numerous times, but I changed the. I changed the blades, and I'm not good at sharp. I'll tell you right now, I'm not good at sharpening things. I've tried that method before, especially back shooting fixed position broadheads, fixed blade broadheads. I've tried to sharpen them myself, and I never could get results that I was comfortable with. I've never been able to sharpen knife blades very well, so I just decided that I just, you know, it's too easy to just buy new blades. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. To uh, and to touch a little bit about. So I heard you talking about the trocar points and then the uh, the offset blades also bringing physics back into it again. Uh, what that helps is your initial, you know, punching and cutting of the skin. A lot of guys, they don't even, you know, consider that. You lose a lot of your energy just puncturing the skin in that initial uh, pass-through or that initial puncture. And then also with the trocar tip, it's a real big deal if you're breaking bone versus cutting bone Mm -hmm. so like not a lot of people think about that also uh, whenever they go in to do orthopedic surgery they use a single beveled chisel whenever they're chiseling bone they use a single bevel chisel because it breaks bone it doesn't cut bone whenever you get into the double beveled edges um, that's whenever you're it's going to cut so instead of breaking that bone and just continuing to go through the body cavity it's if you hit with a double bevel you're cutting you're going to try to cut the bone so it's Mm going to wedge in there and it's less likely that you'll get a pass through or if you do you're going to lose a whole lot of energy trying to cut that bone versus shattering it all right guys louisiana bow hunter shop of the week brought to you by tacticam today we're on the phone with michael little from Spotted Dog Sporting Goods in Columbia, Louisiana. And in, in case y'all haven't heard, Michael and Richard are the brand new owners of Spotted Dog in Columbia. They they uh, went live with it on December 4th, so we're very happy for them and their new venture. Um, so, Michael, thank you for joining us on uh, this segment today, man. Yeah, you bet, Kyle. Well, we've been trying to do this for a while. I've been chasing y'all and, and uh, for a good reason. I know you've been holding me at arm's length, but... I'm excited to hear about the transition, and uh, and also let's start off by just tell me about your archery department. What are y'all working with over there? Uh, right now we've got Matthews and Mission as far as bow lines. We've got Ten Point and Raven, our big crossbow lines. Uh, looking to make some changes in archery and really you know grow. That's kind of our specialty. So uh, of really looking to grow that part of the business. Uh, everything else kind of on autopilot, running itself. So. Uh, we're going to get get in there and do what we do best. That's great, man. Well, um, y'all have any plans to uh, to expand the, the, the business as a whole or, or just certain segments of it? Um, right now, the archery, like I say, it's it's what really needs some, you know, some work to it. We're going to rearrange the store and make a new archery department. Uh, we've got 15,000 square feet. 
you know, under under roofs. So uh, a pretty good size store. Uh, so right now, you know, we're going to keep it this size. Uh, it's tough for us. It's about the perfect size. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, I'm excited to see what y'all's future holds. I know that y'all uh, y'all have been dealing in archery for a long, long time. Are y'all still going to be working on bows? Or are y'all going to kind of manage that aspect now? Uh, we will still be in the bow department. Uh, of course, being owners now, we do have other obligations as well. But, you know, that is uh, – that's our specialty, so we're going to have a, a hand in it. We do have an archery guy here, so we'll be working hand-in-hand with him, uh, getting him, you know, to do stuff the way that, that we we like to see it done. Uh, I can look at a bow and tell if me or Richard one had our hands on. Yeah. Just by looking at how, how the bow's put together. So, And that's how we want to continue, you know, doing business here. That's great. Well, it, remind everybody, how long have you and Richard been working together? Who last 15 years. Wow, that's awesome. Well, this is an exciting new chapter for y'all, and I'm I'm uh, I'm very happy and and uh, proud to see y'all take some big some big moves, man. Yes, sir. We appreciate it. Well, uh, tell them where where are y'all located? What's your address in Columbia? It is six four four one one six on Highway one sixty five. We're about. Uh, half a mile north of the Washtenaw River Bridge right here on 165 in Columbia. So everybody that, that isn't from northeast Louisiana, like what Michael and I talked about earlier, there's a lot of people that come from south Louisiana to hunt in northeast Louisiana. So if y'all haven't stopped in to spot a dog, definitely stop in and, and, uh, and give them some of your business, get your bow worked on, pick up all your hunting gear, duck hunting gear, hunting guns, you name it. They're a full-line dealer of anything outdoors. So, uh, Michael, thank you for joining me, man, and uh, good luck this year. I appreciate it, Kyle. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. See ya. Hey, guys, want to go over this week's Louisiana Bow League update. Going to go over the top five teams right now. In fifth place is Bayou Boys with 267 and 7 eighths points. Number four, I'll stick that with 309 and three-quarter points. Number three, Stay Stealthy, just barely above at 311 and three-quarter points. Number two, Stack and Racks, 330 and two-thirds and in first place with a pretty decent lead, especially this late in the season, is Button Bobby, 393 and three-quarter points. This can change at any moment. One buck can flip this on its head. We can have seventh place jump to first. We can have first jump to fourth. I mean, it's go, this, this can go any direction, especially with about a month left in the season. But y'all stay tuned. Uh, got a lot of big deer falling and a lot of rut action happening. So uh, this can change at any time. Stay tuned until next week. Thanks. So, Bo, have you ever shot anything other than Rage? Or you have any experience with anything else? Uh, yes, yeah. I'm glad you asked that because um, I would have forgot to bring it up. One of the first, uh, or the first deer that I killed was with a two blade blood runner, and I was way early, you know, into bow hunting, still learning. I'm still learning every day. Every day we go out, we learn something. But what I picked up, kind of similar to your experiences, was I got penetration. Um, but I noticed that either I would get a shish kebab and then the arrow would fall out or, um, it would just be laying on the ground, but cause the blade runner, a uh, blood runner, excuse me, if anyone's familiar with them, they're like spring loaded. So in order for the blades to open, you have to apply force to them. Well, that force has to be continuously applied the whole duration of the cavity. Hmm. So you're losing a lot of energy. So it's 
they'll never be able to fail. It can never fail just because of the design and the setup, but you are losing energy and a lot of more, a lot more energy is required to open that and keep that blade open. It's not like a slip cam system where once it, op- once it opens, it's done. It's, it requires energy the entire time to, uh, to keep that, those blades open. But I had, I mean, I had success with them. I can't, you know, knock them in any sort of way. Other than that, I just made the decision to uh, to change. I was like, man, wow, I haven't had to make any quartering shots with this. And if I do, uh, there's a chance that I won't get a pass through. So I might want to change it up, you know. So so I went to from there. I went to Rage after. Gotcha. Now um, you're shooting uh, the two point threes, right? Uh, I did. I shot those for three or four seasons, liked them a lot. Um, and then um, in Illinois, I'm with, kind of going off of what Locke was saying earlier. Uh, my biggest buck that I've ever shot was in Illinois. And I was in a position where I was forced to make a spine shot. Everything worked out re- Everything worked out well. But what I didn't care for was um, the between – the broadhead and the arrow, I had a light, a light arrow, but shooting the bigger broadhead, and I was also shooting 80-pound limbs, so I felt like it was going to compensate, but it was a close shot, and I hit spine, so I hit solid bone, and the deer dropped right in his tracks, uh, dropped right there, and I went, knocked another arrow, same setup, but I, so I broke the spine, but only got maybe, I don't even think I passed all the way through the spine, now that I'm thinking of it. Um, and then after that, now he's laying on his side. I go to put another shot in just to finish things off as quickly as I can and hit into the shoulder. Um, not in the shoulder, I'm sorry, right behind the shoulder, but I don't know how much that affects penetration from standing to versus laying on the ground. But once again, I wasn't happy with the amount of penetration. So I decided after to change the arrow and also reconsider the broadhead of choice. Um, but I made a recovery, was fortunate enough. A lot of people, you know, don't have a similar experience. They, unfortunately they lose, um, the animal and I've lost animals also, but, um, you know, they just try to learn from every experience. Yeah. Now we talked a little bit about FOC earlier. Um, yes. Standing for, um, front of center. And yes. uh, do you want to explain to people what that is? They may have heard it before, why it's important, um, and how it kind of, add stability to your arrow yes so the front of center is the optimal range that you want to be at if i remember correctly is um no less than 17 but optimally around 19 percent of forward of center and the way you calculate that is you have to uh, measure your arrow and then weigh your arrow and then calculate uh, the amount of weight percentage wise that is in the front of the arrow versus distributed out throughout the entire length of it but what it does is it it helps the momentum to be um more proportioned to the front of the arrow to continue that momentum throughout the the shot and also it helps for the the stabilization for the the arrow to restabilize in flight and that you get tighter groups out of it um you get truer shots um less time in the dynamic flexing of the spine like we were kind of talking about earlier so like you won't have that as long so in your closer shots where you get a deer that comes in right under your tree um you know eight yards ten yards 
sometimes that arrow is still flexing whenever it makes impact well it'll recover faster and won't be flexing uh for as long of a time yeah so so front of center is um uh you you figure out the the percentage the the, the equation of pretty much where the exact point of balance is on the arrow like like if you were to hold yes. it on your finger um and then you uh there there is an equation for it i don't know off the top of my head but it's essentially how far in front of the dead center of the arrow that balance point is and yes the f- and how yeah and the further forward that balance point is from the middle of the arrow the higher your foc um, the thing is with like, you know, arrow weights and the amount of like the average amount of weight we have on, uh, especially compound arrows, FOC is huge in the traditional world because the archer's paradox is much, m- much more um, uh, uh, larger part of of um, bow hunting in the traditional world than it is in compounds. And I'll talk about that in a second. But um, people are very mindful of FOC in the traditional world, whereas in the, um, the compound world, it's important. But since we are shooting center shot risers, meaning we are shoot, we, there is no Archer's Paradox going around the riser. The Archer's Paradox in compounds is, is up and down flexing. Right. Whereas like it's vertical flexing, whereas on traditional arrows, it's left to right because you're trying to get that arrow to literally bend around the riser of the bow. Whereas with modern release modern rests and and all of that 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 we have on compounds, your arrow never gets off of a perfectly straight line in line of the knocking point and the rest. So it's always launching perfectly straight, but it does flex. It just flexes up and down. So um, anyway, the FOC is, is interesting because the reason it helps you stabilize is because the front part of the arrow is heavier than the rear part, and the, the fins or the veins are what help stabilize the arrow. They are – it's uh, – it's easier to control the back of the arrow because it's lighter than it is to control the front of the arrow because it's heavier. But if the front of the arrow is going where you're wanting to go anyway, then it's working in conjunction with themse- with itself. If that makes sense. So yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, to talk about the archer's paradox, if anybody's never heard of this. Um, uh, there's a lot of great um, explanations on YouTube, but it is the explanation as to on like a, 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 a like a Robin Hood bow, traditional bow, or what's called a self bow, which is a bow that doesn't really have a cutout riser on it. Um, how does a, an arrow that's cocking to the left while it's on the string shoot straight? How does it do that? It's obviously not shooting through the riser. So how does it do it? Well, what's happening is the um, the uh, you, the spine of an arrow is much more much more critical in a traditional bow than it is on a compound. You have a decent range of like acceptability in a compound for an arrow spine, but like on a traditional bow, it has to be exact, and it's it actually changes per person because everybody has a different draw length on the same bow. Um, and, uh, like if I, if I'm shooting 28 inches and you're shooting 26 and a half, then you would shoot stiff 
on my arrow, but I would shoot perfect. And if I shot you your bow, I would probably actually shoot a weak shaft because I would be drawing it further back than you would. You're just hypothetical. Um, but anyway, um, the archer's paradox is a really interesting part of archery. It's not something that compound shooters need to worry about as much as traditional, but um, it's very important to understand um, the uh, like how 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 fast probably isn't the best way to say it how short of distance from leaving the string an arrow can recover and stabilize um and that was your point on shooting deer that were very close was that if you have an underspined arrow then you um you could very well be out of um non-stabilized by the time it makes impact right yeah yes absolutely and uh if you if you want i've got a personal experience that I think, uh, you know, can correlate to that or be applied to that. Um, so I was shooting my 80 pound insanity. I was shooting carbon maxima red arrows. So a little on the heavier side of arrow, um, I'm not extremely heavy, but you know, not completely lightweight. Um, so I think my total arrow, uh, was 412 grains, um, in the, in the lower four hundreds. Well, I'm a 28 and a half inch draw and I had a deer early season coming in to feed probably five or this was five or six years ago now, but, uh, comes in and it's early season. He comes in the morning and so many things that, that I learned from this. And I think the best that we can always try to do is at the very least learn. Um, and one of them was obviously patience. One of the lessons was patience, but secondly, the choice, like the choice that you make, y'all talked earlier about making choices, making decisions. Uh, that was another thing. I made the decision to shoot earlier in a lower light situation. I was confident I've made those shots before. Um, but that also doesn't say that they're going to work every time. What the way that it played out was the deer comes in. I was impatient instead of waiting another 10 minutes to get more light. Um, I see him. I think that he is completely broadside in all actuality. He was not, he was quartering to me just a hair and I shoot my 80 pound insanity with a 2.3 rage extreme cut. And I hit him uh, dead in the shoulder. I got maybe, uh, I forget how much it was, but four inches of penetration, maybe no more than six. Um, and plenty of guys out there, I'm sure you and Locke in particular, you are familiar with, or y'all know, there's just that spot right square in the shoulder where the um, upper arm, the humerus of the deer, uh, it lines up, you hit the ball joint right there. And so what I'm getting at is even with an 80 pound bow and a 410 grain arrow, if that arrow is still flexing, you're going to lose so much energy. You're not even going to get a pass through with that. So whereas on the counter side or the other aspect of it, if I would have been shooting a 60 pound bow with a properly spined arrow and a, probably a cut on contact or a fixed, uh, fixed blade versus a mechanical, I would have probably gotten a complete pass through and that deer would have died, you know, within less than a hundred yards. So that's where like the whole awareness aspect comes into play. Everything has an advantage and everything has a disadvantage to it. And it all goes with knowing your equipment also. Like I felt like I knew my equipment well and I did until that. And then I realized, Oh wow, these, 
you know, for my 80 pound limbs, even though this these, you know, I'm shooting good groups at 20 yards, I should have either been spined differently or I should have gone with inserts, uh, or larger fletchings or something. I could have, uh, I needed to tune more, Yeah. but that that's a personal experience with that. Well, um, that, that kind of reminds me of uh, something else we talked about earlier, which is, um, we talk about customized gear, um, and that's that, you know, what works for me doesn't work for you. I see this a lot on the internet. It really drives me crazy. Um, is when people ask for advice on something, whether it be arrows or broadheads or bows or whatever. And, it, you know, I, I, I think this, the real problem falls on the, on the person asking the question. When you ask, Hey, what's a good broadhead? And you have 17 people that come behind spouting out their opinion on what they like. Just read through the comments again slowly and realize that nobody tells you why they like them. <laughs> yeah. And nobody tells yeah. them what's good about them. And nobody, and, and sure as shit, nobody ever asks you what bow you're shooting and what poundage and what draw length you are. Because, or what you're going hunt. <laughs> oh, just dr- drives me insane. Hey, what's a good broadhead? Oh, you should shoot, you know, a G5 striker. Like, why? Why, yeah. why do you think that's what I need to shoot? Well, it's because it's what I shoot. And, um, and, and so it, what's interesting is this will get philosophical on you. People that offer up equipment, um, uh, uh, equipment opinions without giving you any sound reasoning as to why it would be good for you or why you would like it. All they're doing is they're hoping that you make a choice that they made because they made it. They want you. Yeah. To, they only want you to do something because they hope you respect them enough that you will do what they say because they said it, and that's it. Not because yes. not because it's a good fit for you. Not because it's what your bow needs or what your draw length w- would require or any of that stuff. It is hey, hunt with this because I hunt with it, and that is such a weak argument. It is such a weak argument. There is not any sound logic as to why anybody should make a decision on equipment based on somebody's personal preference without any backup as to why it works. Yeah, it's not, it's not sustainable, non-sustainable 100%. I mean, you need, you need evidence, you need, you know, or at least uh, insight, you know, you need something to go along with it versus, oh, well, it's, I'm just regurgitating the commercial that I saw, you know, that's it. I think another another philosophical, so to speak, or psychological angle to that is deer hunting has an emotional tie to it. You know, um, success and failure has this personal emotional attachment. Let's just say, for example, um, I do IT work for a living uh, at a hospital. So I get a lot of questions from people all the time about hey you know my kid's going off to college what kind of computer should i get them well you know what should i you know what about this with my tablet or my phone well as a human being i'm going to step back from my own reality and try to look at this correctly as i make this um comment i'm not very emotionally attached to that so i'm going to give you the best answer that i can if i you know respectfully if i'm trying to actually help you I'm not going to give you an answer that's based off anything other than my technical knowledge of your situation and what I think is best for you. However, in a moment of hypotheses here, 
if you ask me, hey, man, I want to get into bow hunting. I see you hunt a lot and you've been successful. You know, what do you shoot? You know, what do you think? I'm obviously the first thing I'm going to do is tell you about my equipment because I'm emotionally attached to it because it's worked for me. It's made me smile. It's made me happy. It's made me put deer on the wall. It's made me put food on the table. So my opinions are driven by my emotional attachment. Um, yeah, but I, I also comes- I also don't think that you would just give a, a – I don't think if somebody said, hey, Locke, what's a good computer for my kid? You wouldn't be like, oh, Dell Inspiron 6700, definitely. Exactly. And well, yeah, that, and you know what point. I mean? I'm not, I'm not emotionally tied, tied to that. So just because I use a – Okay, I'm not going to do this anyway because <laughs> we're talking about this, and I'm not trying to be holier than thou, but I understand where we're at here, and I try to be upfront with people. I like Grim Reapers. They work great for me, um, and, and I would give you a totally different opinion, but I'm trying to put myself in the position of those people that we're talking about. As you talk, you know, as people that are listening to this wonder when they read these things or they ask for someone's opinion. I'll give you another example. Um, the other night, Matt LeBlanc asked about self-filming. Well, yeah. One way or the other, I'm. I feel like I'm probably pretty, pretty dang, um, credentialed to offer an opinion. You agree? Yes. Yeah. So I don't really care if y'all use Sony cameras, and I don't really, you know, hey, you can get some awesome footage with with lots of different things on the market. I offered my opinion based off this stuff I have, but I, I gave an, an example. Like, why am I telling you that you should get this? Because, because you, it, it's really hard. This is why you need to do it this way. Not because I want you to do it because I've had success doing it that way, because this is how you should, because my experience tells me that this is how you should do it. Um, and the same thing goes for this again. What I'm, I'm saying is me and you, are, we're saying the same thing. I'm just offering a different psychological approach to it is you got a guy who feels very high and mighty in the mm-hmm. middle of deer season because he's taken his bow that he got set up at XYZ Bow Shop and they threw him some you know, rage 2.3s and he's blasted a couple of deer and there's been huge blood trails. And he's just convinced because of how happy and successful that's made him that why would anybody ever consider anything else? And so why, why should you? Because look at me, because I said it and look at what I've accomplished. That's why you should listen to me. You know? So like, again, going back to the whole computer thing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had a successful career in it, but I don't think that you should use the same technology I do just because (laughs) it's made me successful in the career of it. I'm, you know, I'm able to step away from that because I'm not emotionally attached to it. That that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I agree. So just take it with a grain of salt. And you know, the big thing is go to your bow shop, ask your archery tech, what you should be shooting. Say, Hey, I'm only shooting 55 pounds. I probably shouldn't be shooting a two and a half inch cut anything. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and so, um, y- you know, we uh, w- what's what is uh, I th- I, maybe you know who 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 said this, um, Bo? But there's a uh, there's a saying. It says um, if you um, if you listen to the media, you're misinformed. If you don't listen to the media, you're uninformed. Um, and I want to say it was like Mark Twain, I believe. It sounds like a Twain. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a Twain, you know, angle. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's, it's just like that on Facebook or Instagram or any, you know, it's one thing to get a, you know, trying to get a consensus, consensus of what other people are shooting, but I would never sit in Academy's parking lot, say, hey, what's a good broadhead? 
And then somebody says, you know, I do a vote. Eleven people say rage, and then walk in and buy rage. But there's people that do <laughs> yeah, that. It, that's not a good d- decision. That's you should so, you should take into account what you're shooting, your draw length, your draw weight, all that stuff, and try and figure out what the best fit is for you. Um, absolutely. So I think uh, I think what's really complicated about this is the truth of it is in as we sit here today in December of 2019. There's not one thing. We're not looking to the answer for this algebraic equation. Like, there's probably a number of products out there that would work great for you. Oh, and yeah. So, yeah. 100%. And yeah, that's, each of that, those. That's the thing. Yeah, uh, and completely agree. And each of those products has its own advantage. And I don't want to say maybe a disadvantage, but because each, it's like a trade off. You're going to get the best of this aspect, but then you may not get the rest of it. There's no end all be all. And you have to customize your setup with those advantages and disadvantages in mind. And one of the things that I'd like to talk about, cause we, you were talking about like the larger cuts. So if you have a bow that is capable or incapable, either way, it doesn't matter, but that bow will be able to cut so many inches with that two inch cut. So if you have a two inch cut, but you can only get six inches of penetration with it. That's a total of 12 inches of tissue that's cut. Whereas if you have a four blade, say trick slick or muzzy or, you know, three blade Montec, whatever the case may be, you may have a lesser, um, overall cutting diameter, but the amount of tissue that is cut with each individual blade, and now instead of only getting six inches of penetration, I can get 15 inches of penetration. Now I can multiply that 15 inches times all of the four blades, and I'm going to get more versus the two blade. Where So people are thinking like, oh, the hole's bigger. But what you really got to consider is the overall amount of tissue damage that you're doing. So like if I'll take that one step further – because the end goal is to harvest the animal, kill the animal, make the shortest recovery you can. The only way you can do that is by making the lethal shot. The way that you make the lethal shot is, you know, hitting the vitals, of course. But we have to be able to cause the most damage and see the most blood uh, within the shortest amount of time. Because in 30 seconds, a deer can can run a half a mile, you know, like they – or maybe not a half a mile, but you guys know what I'm saying – so within 30 seconds, think of how far that deer can travel. So if you don't put the shot on him or, or her, the buck or the doe, to where they're going to expire within that 30 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever the case may be, your chances of recovery go down significantly because if you don't have enough blood trail, so if they can run 500 yards in 30 seconds, you have to be able to have enough blood to follow for that whole 500 yards. So there's so many things that go into it that I, people, I don't know if they always think about or consider or, or, uh, have them at least come to mind. Um, but that was something that I wanted to bring up also between the larger cut broadheads and your, you know, fixed blades, because it may be a larger hole or a larger diameter, or a larger single cut, but if you can't get, but six inches of penetration, versus a fixed blade where I can get, you know, 12, 15, 20 inches of penetration. You got to think of the overall sum of everything. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about the uh the wound channel like 
um, the total amount of damage like that before. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because I mean, if your if your diameter is only whatever three quarters of an inch, inch, inch and a quarter, wherever it may be, like that's the diameter. But if you have four blades that are each cutting, you know, uh, five eighths of an inch or whatnot, you have to, you know, add all of that the square square or yardage, not yardage, but you add up your overall uh, foot length or board length, if you want to think about it, like in simpler terms, you know, yeah. you add up all of that linear foot. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. Well, um, yeah. well, uh, is it, I, I think we've had a pretty good in-depth conversation. Is there anything else you want to add before we jump off of here, man? Oh, no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the conversation. It was good talking to you guys. And, um, I mean, there's always things that, that we can rabbit hole on and talk about some more, but I think we covered a good bit. Absolutely. Locke, you good, man? Yeah, I, you know, I, I would like to reiterate that all these things are, are very interesting and very worthwhile of our consideration. If you're, gonna, if you're going to invest your time and your money and your effort into being a bow hunter, you need to at least have some baseline understanding of how all these things work. But I still want to go back to the idea that if we're not talking about target archery, if we're talking about killing animals and being an effective hunter, you got, I still think that my opinion will always be until something changes it, that the best thing to do is to find a way to be effective in this soft zone where you're focusing on, high percentages in other words you're hunting in a way that basically i'm just reiterating we're, you're hunting in a way that you're not depending on these very complicated and very changing things changing by being changed by a lot of different variables you're you're focused more on putting yourself in a high percentage shot where you know most of the time when i release an arrow it's on me. It's not on my equipment because I could be shooting 60 or 80 or heavy or light or cut on impact or expandable or any of these options. And I've already put myself in a situation now where all I got to do is hit that soft zone and I'm going to kill the deer ethically and quickly. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, as a hunter, it, again, just think, think about this in a lot of different ways. If you're, if you're forcing yourself into complicated situations in order to be successful, you're going to be unsuccessful more often than not yeah and uh i think that is where we overthink so uh you know just going back to that i don't i don't want i don't want to i don't want somebody to walk away from this podcast going trying to reinvent the wheel with their setup if you you know uh you know just make sure you're effective and you're in that like i said that i don't know what you would call it but that kind of that soft middle where you know that hey I'm, i'm in a high percentage range right here and um then, then focus on your shot, man. Focus. I mean, I'm, I'm living it right now. But you know, focus on your shot because oh, yeah. if you make the yeah. shot, there's yeah. a lot of things that you've got. That, uh, when did you shoot your deer? Saturday? No, Thursday morning. Thursday morning. And you know, so the backstory on that, I shot a deer, the eight point I killed in Louisiana last year. I shot him out of the same stand, standing. I mean, as far as I can tell, in the exact same spot. Looked like the same spot. One step different from, I mean, he was walking the same trail. I grunted him out of the same thicket at almost the same time of the morning. 
just a couple days later in the month of December. It was you now this deer that I shot Thursday was a lot bigger than that one, but um, and on that shot, the deer stepped up out of the ditch and he stopped, and I shot him perfect right behind the shoulder and I watched him fall. He ran sixty yards. This deer stepped up out of the creek bank. He paused and as I released, he continued forward and I shot him back and I watched uh. him walk out of sight and trailed him four miles and still haven't found him. Hmm. you know so uh in the end we're talking about in the end i was shooting almost the same setup i did have a different bow last year but i was shooting the same diameter arrow the same weight arrow the same broadhead the same poundage and both shots went through the deer like butter zip zip and stuck in the ground four or five inches buried in 15 yard shot on the other side difference being one of them went perfectly through the vitals top of the heart both lungs the other one went through the back of the rib cage and i don't i mean i've not recovered the deer so i don't know what all i hit but the the, the hole on the video looks like you know intestine and maybe top of the stomach like center center mass huh yeah so i, I bro- i'm pretty sure i broke the last rib the hole looks like it's in the last rib and he was perfectly broadside so you gotta assume without visual evidence of an exit that at that angle it exited center middle low out the back side which means you know it definitely i'm about the looks of the arrow and stuff i definitely got gut so probably intestines and top of the stomach too low to be liver too far back to get long um and so but but again the difference here is the shot it has nothing to do with the setup both both setups did the exact same thing one hit bone one didn't yeah both went zipped right through the deer so you know as it pertains to arrows the difference between me having a dead animal that I watched fall and having an animal I'm hoping to recover floating in a pond or underneath buzzards someday here in the near future um, is just simply the shot. So. Yeah. Well, that's a somber way to end this one. I have to, I, <laughs> I, I actually, I didn't say this earlier, but I have to go look for a deer. <laughs> I shot a deer earlier this evening. I shot a buck at about 18 yards, um, and uh, and I've got I've got good blood on my arrow. Um, <clears throat> I tracked about 20 yards. Got got decent blood. It's not like you know pouring out or anything like that yet. But I've, like I said, I've only gone 20 yards from the arrow. Um, had had this podcast. Had to eat dinner. Got my in laws in town. Backed out. It's been about four hours now, and uh, we're gonna go in about in about an hour and uh, see if we can find him. So um, should be a pretty pretty good sized buck. Um, I'm excited about it. Hopefully that is uneventful as it can be in terms of yeah. Tracking a deer. I hope it. I hope I hope it goes about 40 yards and piles up. So we'll yeah. see. I'll uh, I'll let y'all know. But uh, anyway, Bo, appreciate you joining us tonight, man. Um, enjoyed it glad to see you're back in the states i hope you have a good time and you're staying home and uh and kill something while you're here man oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a whirl i'll try my best and thank you all for having me i really appreciate it yeah no problem Enjoyed good it, talking bro. to you see you lock oh yeah later take care see y'all Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.